This is for you. Now entering the game from Philly Press Box Radio, Bill Furman and Jim Chet Chesko. It's Wednesday, February 5th, 2020. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable, brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight, along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesko. Hey, Chet, Andy Reid, the Kansas City Chiefs are Super Bowl champions, and that fast, Philly's pitchers and catchers report to Clearwater in just six days. The Flyers come out of the All-Star break, getting five of a possible six points, and still don't have Carter Hart. The Sixers are a mystery, having lost three ugly games in a row. The seat has to be getting a little bit hot for Brett Brown, and as always, there's a bunch of Philly sports to talk about. Yeah, quite a week. Andy gets that Super Bowl title finally. The Flyers looking like a playoff team again with a couple of solid wins. You mentioned that. Uh, the Phillies and the fact that spring training is a week away. There's also the news that they'll be retiring Roy Halladay's number 34, which we'll certainly discuss. And then there's the Sixers and yikes, what a week they've had, Bill. What a difference, man. I mean, we went through the process years, but given the talent on this team, this may be rock bottom for this club. We'll talk in much more detail about that later on. And let's mention that we have Matt McClure, who co-hosts the Half Court Show podcast on the show in the second half hour. And we have Tim Kelly of Phillies Nation joining us in oh, six or seven minutes. Yep, looking forward to that. A uh, couple of young guys that are all over the sports scene, and we're excited to hear what they have to say. But, hey, Chet, let's talk about the, the Super Bowl. Andy Reid uh, punches his ticket to Canton, I believe, with this win. And uh, a great playoff run by the Chiefs, especially the way they handled the fourth quarter in all three of their playoff games. Yeah, and we were both rooting for Andy. It didn't look good for a time, as you noted, as the, the Chiefs were down 20-10 to 10 in the second half. But for the third straight postseason game, they were able to overcome a double-digit deficit. That's hard to believe. In this case, three touchdowns in the final seven minutes of the game won it for them. I was real happy for him, as I think you were. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, and you could see how happy he was. Uh, you, you could certainly tell that the, the monkey uh, – did come off his back, but hey, a little different Andy Reid, I think, as we saw him go for it twice on fourth down, uh, made it both times. Uh, no, no conservative Andy uh, in this game. No, I, I think he's changed a bit over the years, and it helps to have a guy like Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback, a guy who, you know, is maybe the best quarterback in the league. He didn't win the MVP this year, but he did the previous year, and. Uh, Certainly a lot of talent there on that entire offense, so I wasn't surprised so much there. Uh, they did get it done. The big play to Tyreek Hill uh, really got them back in there in the fourth quarter, and, boy, what a great fourth quarter that was, especially for the Chiefs. Yeah, well, I was going to mention that play to Tyreek Hill. Uh, kind of a kind of a makeshift play by Mahomes. He struggled a little bit. He threw that ball out there, and Hill was so open, he looked like a center fielder waiting for the ball to come down. Uh, and, and it almost looked like Mahomes just launched it. But, um, hey, it was the play that they, they needed a big play, and that was certainly the one that got them. Yeah, and then they had the parade today. Now, I saw some of the pictures. Nothing like the parade in Philly. It did not like look like there were anywhere near that many people there. Of course, it's a smaller market, but uh, 
Uh, they had their parade, and I heard a little bit of Travis Kelsey. It was nice, but he's no Jason Kelsey in terms of speech. No, he's no Jason Kelsey. And, and you know what? <laughs> they didn't have any nuts in Philly trying to drive our car through the parade either. <laughs> I didn't see that. I just saw a headline. Is that what happened? And I, saw, I did see a guy fall out of a tree also. Yeah, well, they had a guy fall out of the tree, but they had a guy actually kind of try to crash the parade in his car and oh. ended up in a police chase to start the uh, <laughs> start the parade, and I assume that person is in jail. Yeah, you would think. You can't be doing that stuff. Uh, but congratulations to Andy and all of the Chiefs. And, Bill, i got to ask you, I don't know if you were going to get to it, but did you have a favorite Super Bowl commercial? Um, no. No, I really didn't. Uh, I just they they didn't do much for me. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm trying to remember the one I actually did laugh at, but no, they didn't do much for me. See, I thought there were five or six pretty good commercials. You had Bill Murray doing the Groundhog Day thing for Jeep. I like that one a lot. I like the uh, Mountain Dew Zero Sugar thing, the kind of sequel to The Shining with Brian Cranston as Jack Torrance, you know, with the axe through the door. I enjoyed that. I thought that was good. And one of my favorites was the rocket mortgage spot with Jason Momoa peeling off his layers, and you, know, you see a skinny little guy instead of the, the big hulky guy from Aquaman. I thought was pretty creative. And uh, Hyundai doing the smart park thing up in uh, Boston. Yeah. I like that one as well. Didn't do much for me. I thought you were going to say you liked that goofy tide thing that they did throughout the whole game. Nah, I didn't really, wasn't impressed much with the Tide thingamajig. And then it was the tearjerker, the, the Google one uh, about the guy thinking about his dead wife, Loretta. That was a little bit, a bit of a teary-eyed one for me, i got to be honest. Well, speaking of teary-eyed, what would you think of the halftime show? Les sure, sure <laughs> has gotten a lot of uh, social media activity and press activity since that uh, event. Well, every single year you're going to have people saying it was great, and others who will say it was like one of the worst ever. In reality, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Now, for me, I'm not a huge fan of either of those ladies' music, but I didn't mind watching it. I thought it was kind of fun. Maybe not appropriate. <laughs> if you have an eight- or nine-year-old kid, it might not have been the best thing to have them watching during Super Bowl Sunday. But uh, as a guy my age who occasionally likes to look at a nice-looking woman dancing around, I thought that was pretty good. Um, it was okay. You know, it's not going to be in my top five. It's not up there with Prince or Bruno Mars or Tom Petty or the Rolling Stones, which is more my kind of music. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it is what it is. I guess we're old, and maybe that's <laughs> offensive to some people that are old. The, the youngsters certainly liked it. It was light on the eyes, uh, no doubt about that. But I guess the thing that kind of bothered me the most is I couldn't understand any of the words. And uh, whoever that whoever that guy was that was in the silver outfit, uh, I, I don't know what his gig was, but if he got paid, he did pretty good. Yeah, and uh, I do like Shakira, and you know who does not like a fifty-year-old Jennifer Lopez? Come on, beautiful lady. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to. I posted this on Facebook, and I, I wanted to ask you about it. Uh, why is it all of a sudden now? Anytime a team loses, they choke. They don't lose. They they choke, or they didn't get beat. They choke. What, where did this come from? Well, I don't know where it came from, but when you're blowing a lead, as uh, you know Shanahan did, he was the coach there, and he was also the offensive coordinator when the Falcons blew that big lead to the Patriots a few years ago. That's when it's a choke. When you blow a lead late in the game, it's like you know you're just kind of gasping and it's like, oh, what am I doing? And that's where the choke thing comes in, and I think it applies in this one. 
you know, maybe it was just they were outplayed or whatever, but when you're blowing a 10-point lead in the final seven minutes of the game, I see where the choke comes in in this case. Well, Shanahan wasn't on the field to start with. No. Ward, Ward is the guy that left Hill open by 20 yards. I, I just don't really get it. I mean, I, he, he made, he made a strategic error there at the end of the half by not using his timeouts, I think. And, and that was a little bit of a mess up, but I don't know if that's a choke of the game that, I, you know, I've, I've coached plenty, played plenty of games. We've won a lot and we've lost some, and I never thought we choked. All right. Um, you know what? We can talk more about this later. Why don't we bring our guest on and talk a little baseball? Cause I'm over with the Super Bowl now. We're done with that. We're going to get to basketball later. Let's talk a little Phillies baseball. Well, and like I said, Jet spring training just six days away when pitchers and catchers report to Clearwater. And uh, we have a great guest tonight in the editorial director of Phillies Nation, Tim Kelly. Tim, welcome to your first trip to Philly Press Box Radio. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hey, Tim, that was Bill. This is Chet. Thanks much for joining us. The Eagles season ended nearly a month ago. The Sixers, as we noted, are in a horrible stretch of late. So with pitchers and catchers slated to report in a mere six days, we are going to talk a little Phillies baseball. That sound good? Sounds great. Tim, this this was a much quieter winter than last year. The Phillies did sign Zach Wheeler and Didi Gregorius, and they made some other little additions here and there while saying goodbye to Michael Franco and Cesar Hernandez. And, oh, yeah, there's a new manager. Should we be excited? Yeah, I mean, I understand there's not as much excitement heading into this season as there was last year. But certainly I think there's this impression from some people that the Phillies aren't better than the team that finished the season uh, last year, disappointing 81-81, struggling in September. I couldn't disagree with that more. I think it is true that you had a, a whole lot go wrong, and Matt Klintak said this at the press conference uh, when they introduced Zach Wheeler and Gigi Gregorius, that you had a whole lot go wrong that normally doesn't in other seasons. I don't think your starting center fielder is going to get arrested before uh, on Memorial Day. I don't think Andrew McCutcheon is going to tear his ACL again. Like Those type of things don't happen a ton. And you did have just a, a slew of bullpen injuries like really none of us have ever seen. And then when you add Zach Wheeler in, you add Didi Gregorius in, you've improved. It's just a matter of whether you've improved enough to win 90 or more games, which is what I think it's going to take to make the playoffs in any form. Well, Tim, let's get our, at our crystal ball here. We're, as we said, we're still a week from spring training. Uh, how do you see opening day at third base looking? What, where, how do you think that's all going to play out? Yeah, I think Scott Kingery is going to be at third base on opening day. Gene Segura is going to shift from shortstop because Didi Gregorius is going to be there. I mean, I guess he could play third base. Joe Girardi's kind of left that open for spring. But Gene Segura has never played third base at any level that I've been able to find in his career. He was an all-star at second base in 2016 with the Diamondbacks, had his best overall season. So I don't think third base is Scott Kingery's best position, but he brings value in the fact that he's able to move around to so many positions. And until Alec Bohm comes up, I think Scott Kingery will be at third base. And then throughout the year, he then becomes someone that can go wherever you need him to go. If Adam Hazley doesn't seize the job in center field, he becomes an option there. If you need to give Andrew McCutcheon a day off in left field, Scott Kingery can do that. If Gene Segura strains his hamstring and goes on the injured list, 
You have Scott Kingery to play second base. He can play short. A lot of people look at the fact that he can play all these positions and kind of get scared by it. It's an extremely valuable thing to have. Now, Chris Bryant of the Cubs could be available. He's going to be a Cub for two years otherwise, but they seem willing to trade him. He can play third base. He can play the outfield. We hear rumors that the Phillies might be interested. Do you think they could make a pitch for Chris Bryant? Yeah, I mean, Matt Klentak wouldn't be doing his job not to make the phone call, and I think that's the extent of the reports we've gotten so far is that they've kind of checked in, touched base. There's no indication to this point that any is serious and has traction. I'm not saying don't trade for Chris Bryant, but I do think you legitimately have to ask yourself, you have two years of team control if you trade for Chris Bryant. If you trade for him and essentially put yourself into luxury tax hell, because you'd be way over the tax. You'd have, uh, I saw it on Twitter today, I think the second highest payroll in baseball history. If you put yourself into that and trade for Chris Bryant, do you think you're ready to win a World Series? Not only do I not think they're ready to win the World Series if they had Chris Bryant, I, I don't even know that they'd win the National League East. I mean, th- to me, you need to begin to bring up some of these young guys like Alec Bohm or Spencer Howard that you would have to trade that are cheap and young to supplement McCutcheon, Real Muto, eventually Bryce Harper, Zach Wheeler, the more expensive pieces. And, and truth be told, I don't have an exact name for you, but I think if the Phillies make another major investment in an individual player, it has to be on another frontline starting pitcher. This lineup that they have right now is has the potential to be very good, and there are always pieces like Corey Dickerson floating around in – August and July, or in July, excuse me, that you're able to acquire and they really make an impact in your lineup. They're not always frontline pitchers and they're certainly not had cheaply. So to me, if you're going to make another major investment, as nice as it would be to have Chris Bryant or Nolan Arenado or whoever, uh, it it would be in a starting pitcher. And frankly, if you're going to make an investment in Chris Bryant, I, I would be very perplexed as to why you didn't just sign Anthony Rendon. Yeah. All right, as you mentioned, Tim, one of the big reasons things fell apart last year was the early June torn ACL suffered by Andrew McCutcheon. We haven't heard a whole lot about McCutcheon lately. Do you know, is he going to be 100% before opening day, and what can we expect from McCutcheon uh, this year? He actually did uh, a sit-down with Megan Montemuro of The Athletic earlier this week. Uh, it was a really well-written piece where he talks about how he doesn't necessarily feel that he has anything left to prove, but he's really excited to get back out there and play. And, I mean, you go through some of the highlights of the 2019 season, and there is a lot of Andrew McCutcheon's presence in it, which is crazy. He played 59 games. People always do this thing when they talk about Andrew McCutcheon where they say, yeah, well, he's not what he used to be. And maybe he's not. He's not an MVP caliber player. But the Andrew McCutcheon that was playing for the first 59 games last year, at the very least, was going to draw all-star consideration. So that's huge to get that player back. Um, you know, I, I don't think they're going to rush him out there 150 games a season. So you have Jay Bruce as another option. If healthy, you have Roman Quinn as an option in the outfield. You have Scott Kingry as someone that's capable of playing outfield positions. But, yeah, on opening day, I, I see no reason as to why Andrew McCutcheon won't be in left field and leading off for the Phillies. It'll have been almost 10 months since he tore towards ACL. If he's not out there on opening day, I think that's a, a pretty good reason to be concerned. Hey, Tim, where do we stand on the contract with JT Realmuto? We need to get that all taken care of and get him in the fold. 
There's no new updates at this point. I think he's going to go to the arbitration hearing with the Phillies. Either going to win that or lose that, and life is going to go on afterwards. Phillies had a relatively contentious arbitration hearing with Ryan Howard before 2008. They won the World Series that year. They signed him to a big deal that offseason and then eventually gave him a five-year deal after that. So I, I wouldn't be too concerned about the implications of what uh, a long-term or what arbitration could do to potentially signing him. It is true that the longer they don't sign him, the closer he is to free agency. That's all true. I, I just think they gave up too much, and he's been p- too productive. You have Jake Arrieta and David Robertson coming off the books. It, I, I would be floored if uh, JT Real Muto isn't on the Phillies opening day next season. Yeah, I agree. You mentioned Jake Arrieta. we got to talk about pitching. They, they should be good at numbers one and two, of course, with Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. After that, though, Tim, a lot of question marks, including Jake Arrieta. He had the rough 2019, a knee problem in the offseason, and the bone spur in his elbow. He'll be 34 next month. Tim, I need this. Give me a reason to think that Arietta can still be an effective starter. I don't necessarily have a reason for you because in, in two <laughs> years with the Phillies, he's proven that he hasn't been able to stay healthy in either of the two seasons. And then when he has stayed healthy, he hasn't consistently missed bats. Now, if you – I can't predict his health. If he's out on the mound, do I think he's someone that can give you 140 or 150 innings? Sure. Is he going to be pitching at a caliber that's good enough to be a number three on a team that wins a division where there are four legitimate teams that could win the division? Boy, I don't know. So when I hear people worried about, oh, Vince Velasquez or Nick Pavetta might be the number five – I'm a lot less concerned about that than the fact that you're going into the season with a a greatly diminished Jake Arrieta as your number three starter. And, I mean, it's great to think that Spencer Howard's going to come up. He's not throwing a million innings this season, even if the Phillies are in contention. It's almost unfair to expect him to come up and immediately be like a frontline starter this season. So, yeah, it's a concern that Jake Arrieta is your number three coming into the season. Well, and to take that just one step further, um, with him as a concern at three, four and five are certainly concerns. Um, You know, you mentioned early on about, you know, whether this team is better or not. Um, You know, it seems like some other teams in the East did get better, at least on paper. Uh, And that's really what worries me. Did they get enough pitching or do they have enough pitching to actually be better this year? It's a fair question. I mean, you look three through five, and there's legitimate questions about what they have three through five. And you look at the other three teams in the division, the Mets have a loaded starting rotation, even after losing Zach Wheeler. And, I I mean, they added Dylan Batantis. They already had Seth Lugo. I don't think it's possible that both Edwin Diaz and Yuri's Familia are going to be as bad as they were uh, last year. But either way, they have the starting rotation you're confident in. You go to the Nationals, who don't have a great bullpen, but they have Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin. And then the Braves have a starting rotation I think is going to be really good, but the bullpen might be the best in baseball with the investments they've made in it over the last 12 years. And then you go to the Phillies, and as much as I thought Zach Wheeler was a solid addition, Aaron you hope you get closer to 2018. But even if you get 2019, he's still a very effective pitcher. But there's a lot of questions in the starting rotation, and the bullpen's basically a, a lot of the same guys that you're counting on just not to get hurt this year. And Sir Anthony Dominguez may very well have a healthy season and, and be an all-star, 
but am I concerned that he had a UCL injury in the same series that Andrew McCutcheon had or Andrew McCutcheon got hurt and he never returned last season? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to erase that from your mind and think that everything's just going to be perfect this season. It's a see it when you believe it. And even if he is really good, I don't know that you have enough arms in the bullpen. So all the other teams that you're talking about competing with have at least you're comfortable with either their starting rotation or the bullpen. The Phillies have questions in both. Yeah, and speaking of the bullpen, I heard Joe Girardi say on the radio a couple of weeks ago, um, one thing he is high on is Sir Anthony Dominguez and that they need to have him healthy. So it sounds like he's counting on Sir Anthony. And the other thing he said, he Joe, is that he's a guy who prefers one closer rather than a closer by committee approach. Is that going to be Neris? Is it going to be Sir Anthony? Is it going to be somebody else? How do you see the back end of the bullpen shaping up, Tim? I think it's going to be one of those two. I, I didn't mind Sir Anthony Dominguez in the role where you bring him in in whatever the highest leverage situation is between the starting pitcher leaving the game and the closer coming in. The problem is you have to have somebody coming in after that that you're confident in. When the Indians did that role with Andrew Miller, they had Cody Allen coming in. The, the Phillies have to have – if they're going to use Sir Anthony Dominguez in that role, they have to be confident that whoever's coming in in the ninth, I would imagine it's Hector Neris, is going to be able to shut the door. My guess is they'll try Dominguez at the closer, but it, it really I, it wouldn't surprise me if Dominguez is a setup man and Hector Neris is the closer. Either way, both of them are going to be gigantic pieces. And, you know, it, it's great to say in February or January that we'd like to have set roles in the bullpen. I mean, you could have said that last year, and it wouldn't have mattered because the entire bullpen went down. So you have to have guys that step up and seize that to make that a reality. Hey, Tim, you mentioned earlier uh, the name Alex Baum, and i tell you what, I'm really excited about the kid. He hits everywhere he's been. Um, you, where do you see him fitting in? Is he going to make this club, or are we going to see him at midseason? How do you see them trying to use him? I think you'll see him early summer, I would guess. So obviously, it depends what type of season he's having at AAA. You'd like to see him kind of kick down the door and force your hand the Phillies get an extra year of team control if he starts the season in the minor league and is there for a few weeks. So there's really not pressure to push him up, and he hasn't played at AAA yet, so it's not like you're sending him down just for that. So I think he starts the season at AAA, and then you go from there. If he's having a great season, that pushes the timeline up. If you're not, if Scott Kingery isn't able to handle third or you need him at another position – that pushes the timeline up of you needing Alec Bohm at third base. So my guess is you're going to see him this summer. And the Phillies are going to need both him and Spencer Howard. If they're realistically going to make a push to win this division, they're going to need those two to come of age rather quickly. And I don't know how realistic that is. I'm high on both these prospects. I don't know if it's realistic for you to think that they're going to immediately come up and make that type of impact. But we'll see. Hey, Tim, the Phillies announced Tuesday that they'll be retiring Roy Halladay's number 34 in May on the 10th anniversary of his perfect game. I'm going to tell you right now, I have some issues with that decision. Maybe Bill and I will discuss that later. But what is your take on the decision to retire Roy Halladay's number? A guy who pitched, what, three and a half years with the Phillies and really had two great years with the Phillies. But like I said, just three and a half years as a Philly. What do you think? I don't know if I would have retired Roy Holiday's number, but I'm also not going to be someone that kicks and screams about it. I, I think 
A, he's in the Hall of Fame, and they have followed that precedent. More importantly, Roy Halladay, those two years, and I know they're only two years, those two individual seasons, 2010 and 2011, might be the most dominant seasons I've ever seen from a Philadelphia sports athlete across all four sports in my lifetime. So, I, I mean, he is someone that it was a short peak. I don't know if it's exactly how I would have handled it, but I, I feel like to be mad about it, it, it comes off as strange because you look at some of the greatest moments in Philly's history. I was talking about this yesterday with somebody if you ask someone outside of Philadelphia what Philly's moment they think of, they don't think of Tug McGraw or Brad Lidge or Ryan Howard. They think of Roy Halladay's postseason no-hitter. And it's a strange dynamic where absolutely Roy Halladay was a Blue Jay, like if you think of his total career. But he had so much success and on a more national stage in those first two years that a lot of people, I think, remember him as a Philly. So it's going to be a cool ceremony and – We'll see what that ultimately leads to with other potential players and teammates that he had getting their numbers retired. But, I mean, it's not something I can bring myself to get worked up over. All right. Well, hey, Tim, uh, when we have first-time guests, Chet, Chet likes to play a little game of Fast Five with him. You up for that tonight? For sure. All right, Tim. Now, what we're going to do here, I'm going to ask you five questions. Give me five simple answers and keep them real brief so we can get them all in, okay? Here we go. Uh, Tim, you weren't around for the Phillies' 1980 World Championship, but I know you were a fan of the 2008 World Series team. Did you have a favorite player from that great club? I'm a big Jason Worth guy, so I'd probably go Jason Worth. Wow, not one of the big four or five. All right, Jason Worth. Number two, last year, Reese Hoskins had a horrible second half. Finished with 29 homers, 85 RBI, a 226 average. Give us some approximate numbers that you expect from Hoskins this year. I think it'll be closer to two years ago. So I'll say 35, 36 home runs, close to 100 RBIs in that range. All right. I'm hoping at least, at least that, maybe more. Number three, the Dodgers apparently just traded for Mookie Betts last night. Are they the team to beat in the NL now? They are, but I, I, they're the team to be. I, I think the Braves are going to be really, really, really good. So I, I'd watch out for that. All right, number four, we're speaking on February 5th. The season is still seven weeks away. Vegas currently has the over-under number for the Phillies at 85.5. What do you think, over or under? I think over, but over doesn't necessarily mean the playoffs. It could mean 86 or 87, but I, I think over. All right. All right. Speaking of favorites, uh, your favorite baseball movie, Tim? My favorite is The Sandlot. I I could certainly go with Field of Dreams, but Sandlot is a movie I probably watched literally a thousand times when I was a kid. So The the Sandlot to me. Not a bad answer. And a bonus question. You watched the Super Bowl, I'm guessing. Uh, Bill and I were talking earlier before you came on. What was your favorite Super Bowl commercial this year? I was very invested in what happened to Mr. Peanut, so I think his uh, <laughs> funeral and, and coming back to life is where I'm going to go with. <laughs> wow, I didn't expect that one. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. All right, Tim. Well, hey, before we let you go, let the listeners know uh, where they can follow you on Phillies Nation and all your other social media platforms. So you can follow me on Twitter and on Facebook at Tim Kelly Sports, and then you can read me on philliesnation.com and radio.com and then I have a daily Phillies podcast locked on Phillies so if you can't find me it's it's on you <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you're a busy man 
All right, Tim. Well, hey, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate it. Let's do it again during the season. For sure. I appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. You're probably wondering what's going on at the Irish Rovers Station House in Langhorn. Well, let's talk about the menu first of all. They have an awesome one. Everything from burgers and wings to baby back ribs, grilled salmon, and filet mignon. Lunch, dinner, and happy hour specials. And always 24 beers on tap. I've tried many of them. There's a DJ there every Friday night and live bands most Saturday nights. This weekend, it's Steamboat Annie. Looking ahead, they have some special things planned for Valentine's Day and that weekend. The Irish Rovers on Bellevue Avenue in Langhorn. Follow them on social media and visit their website, irishroverstationhouse.com. And, Bill, I didn't make it to Missouri for the parade, but uh, this one's for Andy. Going to Kansas City, Kansas City, here I come. Hi, football fans. This is Merrill Reese, and you're listening to Bill and Chet on Philly Press Box Radio. It's good. It is good. And speaking of good, Chet, the Flyers continue to play good. They're playing good hockey. They need to. The standings have six teams within two points of each other going into last night's action. Yeah, it's tight, and it seems to have been that way for quite a while now. As you noted at the top of the show, Bill, the Flyers picked up five of a possible six points since returning from the All-Star break, including the win by Alex Lyon in goal while Carter Hart continues to recover. He should be back in the next few days, we're hearing. And they got the shutout Monday night on the road against, yeah, not real good Detroit Red Wings team out in Detroit. But let's give Brian Elliott some credit. He has played very well this season. Joel Farabee had a two-goal game over the weekend. Scott Lawton's been playing well. Robert Haig on defense has been terrific. There's a lot to like about this team right now, Bill. Well, yeah, and and the name I thought you were going to get to, you didn't, uh, is that Kevin Hayes is playing just lights out. Uh, and they really needed it because – and I was wondering when this was going to happen because, you know, I watched most most of the games. Uh, and although I think Claude Giroux is still playing very well, he's not scoring. And today the articles finally came out starting to question the captain. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you hear a little bit of those things every year, it seems, about, you know, is he starting to decline, and now we're getting that. So we'll keep an eye on that situation. Like you said, he hasn't been playing poorly, but he's not really getting any points. But the other big news today, Nolan Patrick on the ice and apparently has been cleared for contact. So maybe we will get Nolan Patrick back into game action within a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's probably going to take a couple weeks to get into game shape, and that's not easy to do when you're trying to do it in practice time. But, uh, yeah, that would be uh, be – quite an ad going into the, the end of the season here. And, uh, you know, they have the Devils tomorrow night at a game that uh, the Devils are not very good. The Flyers always need get to the take Flyers care of their up. business. That's yep. right. The Flyers have always to take care one. of their business. And then after that, though, the Flyers have the Capitals, the Panthers twice, the Islanders, and the Lightning. So that's a tough schedule after the Devils. So a lot of key games ahead. And you mentioned the wild card race and the division standings very tight. So the Flyers have to get as many points as they can out of all these games. Absolutely. Speaking of the Capitals, what about the scoring pace that Alexander Ovechkin is on right now? What, did he get three hat tricks in six games? Is that what it is? I know he had at least a couple. He got a third one. Wow. Yeah, he's been hot. Uh, certainly a guy who's you know getting older, but still very, very good. And he's just a great player, one of the greatest players of our lifetime, certainly. Oh, 40 goals uh, wow. so far. He got his 27th career hat trick, and he uh, now has 698 points. And although it's a long way away 
he is at least within sight of Wayne Gretzky, and that in its own self, just to even be in sight, is is pretty incredible. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Wow, yeah, that that's impressive. So uh, good for him, good for Alexander. Well, let me ask you this, Chet. Um, Brian Elliott, Alex Lyon, Carter Hart. Uh, we're, we got an odd man out. I guess the assumption is that it's Alex Lyon. Um, he's played pretty well. Yeah, but, I mean, he's he's not a kid anymore. What is he, 26 or 27 now, Lyon? At least 26. And, is that old? <laughs> yeah, don't well, tell me that's com- old. compared to us, <laughs> no, but <laughs> in, in hockey terms, yes. And, uh, you know, if they have faith in him, maybe they would consider keeping him as the backup and trading Brian Elliott, because I think Brian Elliott's on just a one-year deal now. This is the last year that uh, the Flyers might keep him. So, you know, maybe some other um, playoff hopeful team would want to trade for Brian Elliott. You never know. But then you got to hope but, that Alex Lyon is the right guy for the backup and that you have faith that Carter Hart will get himself back into the kind of shape that he needs to be in and that he can start winning some games on the road, which he has struggled with mightily this year. Absolutely. They, that has to turn around. Uh, but mm-hmm. interestingly, you know, if you look at the stats, and obviously Alex Lyon doesn't have a, a large number of, of games in, in only two, but the, uh, the save percentage, Carter Hart is 905. Brian Elliott is 9.03, and Alex Lyon is 9.01. Not bad. <laughs> wow, I did not realize that. That's uh, that's something. And, uh, yeah, Alex Lyon is 27 years old, Bill. 27. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we'll see what they're going to do. And, uh, you know, I think the real the real thing, if we mentioned it just a minute, is, is Giroux. Um, see how he picks it up. He's still playing a lot of minutes, logging a lot of minutes, probably the, the most still right up at the top with Couturier. Uh, he's still got 35 points in 53 games, certainly only on a pace to maybe get 50 point, a 50-point season. But nobody's scoring a lot. So Couturier uh, is the high score at 46, so he's only on a pace for maybe, you know, 55 or 60. So nobody's scoring a whole lot of points on, on this club or in the league. For, except for Ovechkin. Yeah. <laughs> yep, you got it. So it, let's see how it plays out. Uh, obviously, the, they're, they're playing good hockey, and I think they're probably in a little better position than we even thought. At least it looks like they're playing better. You know, I think we thought they'd be in that seventh or eighth spot hunt, and they are, but I think they're playing a little better than we expected at the beginning of the season. And I think after this next stretch, the schedule gets more favorable. They have more home games. Pretty much everything is on the East Coast. They only have, I think, one or two games out of the Eastern time zone. So that should help. So uh, we'll see. It's going to be an interesting next couple of months, so we'll certainly keep an eye on the orange and black. Hey, and you just reminded me of something that I wanted to ask you about, if you even know about this. Did you know that the Flyers actually sent the legal letter about the schedule? I did, yeah, I heard that a few weeks ago. Yeah, that is true. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, they were not, not happy about the, the schedule, but I'm sure nothing will come of that. Well, I was going to say, I, there, there are yeah. 17 back-to-back games that the Flyers have, which is more than anybody, and I want to say 10. If I, I hope I'm right on that. Ten times the team they're getting ready to play is sitting waiting for them. It's not yeah, playing I, the night before. And that does seem unfair, so I could see why they sent the letter. Um, but like I said, I'm sure nothing will come of it. The other big news, Gritty was officially cleared the other day, Bill. Gritty will not be going to jail. 
Well, and that's a good thing. <laughs> I guess. All right. Hey, Chet, did you know that 56% of Americans have no idea how much they'll need to retire? If that sounds like you, you need to talk to Dave Avoy from Allstate in Westchester, PA. Yes, sir. The same person you count on to help protect you can also help you set a reasonable retirement goal and then show you the right financial solutions to help get you there. A good plan and a good life starts with someone you trust. Call Allstate agent Dave Lavoy in Westchester, Pennsylvania, 610-430-0700, and start planning for your retirement today. Again, that number, 610-430-0700. And, Bill, let me know if you'll be joining me in seeing this band this summer. Welcome to the jungle. Guns and Roses, Bill. Guns and Roses. Come into the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, no, right. outdoors. They'll be at Citizens Bank Park. Oh, well, I can guarantee you I won't be there with you. <laughs> okay, that's July 8th. <laughs> but I'm going to try to go see them. That's a Wednesday, and I don't want to miss our show. So I'm going to try to go see them up at the Meadowlands 10 days later on Saturday, July 18th. So uh, you want to buy me tickets? They're available tomorrow via pre-sale. You can get them for me. All right, now I'll, I'll look in our Philly Press Box radio account and see what I can come up with. All right, appreciate that. Thanks, Bill. All right. <laughs> hey, Chad, <laughs> yeah, I guess you better be looking for money. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the Sixers, Chet, as I said in the beginning, are a mystery. I've said it all season long. I'm being polite. I want to say they're frauds. <laughs> well, you know, normally I might challenge you on that, Bill, but right now I have no case, none whatsoever. A lot of times this season they played down in the competition, but then up their games for big wins against, you know, the Bucks, the Celtics, the Lakers. But Boy, over the past week, they lost to the awful Hawks for, I think, a second time this season, by the way, and then followed that up with a 20-point weekend loss up in Boston and then the 31-point drubbing at the hands of Jimmy Butler and the Heat down in Miami Monday night. That was a low point. They gave up 81 friggin' points in the second half of that one and just looked like they weren't into it all night. Awful. Yeah. Jeez, you know, I don't even know what to say, Chad. You know, there's (laughs) – there, there's, uh, you know, has he lost the team? Is it, is this on Brett Brown, or is this just guys not playing, or are we overreacting and there's still a long way to go and they're going to be fine because it's all about making the playoffs anyway? Boy, I don't know, but you know what? Let's get to our interview, and if we have anything left to talk about afterwards, we'll do that. You want to hear the interview? Yeah, absolutely. Half court's Matt McClure. Uh, you got a chance to sit with him uh, today, right? Yeah, just a couple hours ago. We've had Matt on four times previously. Wanted to get his take on the struggling Sixers. He couldn't join us live this evening, unfortunately, so we taped our chat, like I said, just a couple of hours ago. Here we go. Great to have this guy joining us once again. First time in over a year, a co-host of the Half Court Show podcast, Matt McClure. How you been, Matt? Doing pretty good, Chet. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you got it. Uh, Matt, unfortunately, the Sixers are not so good these days. Some ugly losses, guys underperforming, fans calling for the coach to get the axe. How have things gotten so bad all of a sudden? Well, I think the injury to Josh Richardson has definitely not helped at all, but it's just been since Joel Embiid has gotten back into the lineup, the team has really struggled to kind of work him and Ben Simmons. They haven't really worked well together. You saw when Embiid was hurt that Simmons was starting to find his stride a little bit more. And since he's come back, Simmons has still played pretty well. But Joel Embiid, his lack of energy, his lack of hustle, he saw it against Boston where he shot one of 11 from the field. And then he had a little bit better night against the Miami Heat the other night. 
he got off to a great start, but then was non-existent for some reason in the last three quarters. He did have an okay stat line there at the end of the game, but I think it's just a, a, honestly a spacing issue. You got Al Horford in there. He struggled. And he's been underwhelming this year. Coming into the season, you thought he was going to be somebody that was really going to help you out and give you quality minutes. The Sixers struggled against Horford when he was in Boston, and it just hasn't translated to the 76ers. And Brett Brown's got to figure something out. A lot of people, like you said, Chet, want him gone. And I understand the reason why, because the team should be better than where they are right now, sitting at the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. Well, let me get back to that Embiid-Simmons thing. They're both all-stars, but neither has seemingly improved their game from a year ago. I think Embiid has regressed a little. Have they peaked? And as you mentioned, is this a duel that maybe just can't play together successfully? I think that's in the question for sure. Uh, You see the success that Ben Simmons had when Embiid was out with that finger injury. And there have been some times last year especially early on in this season this year that they've looked really good and sharp together and to be honest with you Chad I think Ben Simmons has kind of taken that leadership role for this team you saw him come out against Miami after that hideous 137 to 106 loss and he said the team was soft you don't see Embiid's name in the media really talking that much about the loss I think this is Ben Simmons team a little bit because of his vocal role for this team I think him and Embiid got to work something out because I think they know that they're a lot better than where they're sitting right now. And when you have guys like Tobias Harris and Al Horford and some of the shooters that they have that probably haven't been as good, you should be better. And a lot of people coming into this season were thinking this team was going to be the number one seed and compete with the Bucks in the East. But the way they're playing right now, they might not get out of the first round. And I think it's up to Simmons and Embiid to kind of just maybe talk to each other and figure out what the problem is as well as maybe bringing somebody in at the trade deadline to add shooting. That Monday night debacle down in Miami, Jimmy Butler was great for the Heat in the route. Tobias Harris of the Sixers, not real good. He's been inconsistent all season. Now, full disclosure, I was in favor of the decision to let Butler walk last summer, but I'm looking like a dope right now. Is Tobias Harris just not the guy the Sixers thought that he should be? I honestly think so. When I was going into the offseason after last season, I was a heavy advocate of bringing Jimmy Butler back. Give him whatever he wants. Bring him back to Philadelphia because he's got that assassin's mentality, and he doesn't care who's in front of him. He's going to try to get a bucket, and he usually does. You saw it last year in games when the Sixers desperately needed a bucket. They gave it to Jimmy Butler and said, get out of the way. You create offense, and it works. They try it with Tobias Harris. It doesn't work. I like Tobias Harris's game. He's averaging 19, but there's too many times when I'm listening to Mark Zumoff on the broadcast, he starts, oh, here's Tobias Harris shooting two of eight to start the game. But he still does average 19 points a game. It's just not good enough. He gets off the bad starts too often. And when he does get off the good starts, he plays well. But I'm just tired of kind of seeing, oh, here we go again. One of five from three to start the game. Two of ten from the field. It's not good enough. And I think Chet, that's a big X factor coming into the stretch after the All-Star game in the latter half of this season. Tobias Harris has got to be that guy that you can give the ball to in late-game situations and say, create and get a bucket. I know he might not be that kind of player, but the Sixers desperately need that. 
Simmons doesn't have a jumper, and in late-game situations, Brett Brown really doesn't like going to Joel Embiid, it seems like, because the defense are so on him. I think Harris could find some open looks and create. It could help 70, the 76ers move better in the standings. You mentioned the Josh Richardson injury. That's been a problem, a concern. Uh, Al Horford looks lost out there a lot of the time. Another area of concern is the bench. I think they're like 26th or 28th in the league in bench scoring. Furkan Korkmaz and Matisse Thibel will occasionally contribute, but some of the other guys, Mike Scott, James Ennis, Saul Neto, etc., are more often disappointing. Did management overestimate this group? I think so. When you look at it, they had J.J. Redick last year, and he was in the starter's role. And now he's in New Orleans, and if he was on this team and he'd come off the bench, that would be an instant spark for this team. Furkan Korkmaz, he's played all right in spots. He either makes a ton of shots or misses a lot. Matisse Seibel, he's really not going to give you that many points, but he does give it to you on the defensive end. James Ennis, he's, he's been eh, this year. I really haven't seen much from him. He was pretty good last year coming off that bench role. And Neto's giving you solid minutes. He had that big game against the Warriors. He had 19 points there in the first half. I've liked what he's done. Trey Burke's been out for a little bit. He's come in. I think they have overestimated this bunch because I think they expected more, and they have just not performed well, and it's hurt them. Well, as we speak here on Wednesday, Matt, it's less than 24 hours before the trade deadline. Is it a certainty that the Sixers will make some sort of a deal? I mean, don't they have to? I think you have to uh, just because there's a lot of people coming at the 76ers saying you pretty much have to make a move because if you don't, you're not going to get anywhere. So pressure is on Elton Brand to do something here. But I don't think the Sixers, whatever move they make, are going to be winners here at the deadline. I, I like saw some talks with Luke Kennard. Maybe you bring J.J. Redick back. I'm not really sure where this team's direction is going to go in the trade deadline. All we know for sure is whatever they're doing right now on the court isn't good enough, and they need to add some shooting. So I'll be very surprised to see what this team does at the trade deadline because if they want to get somebody bigger, you're probably going to have to trade Al Horford if you would want somebody a little bit better than like a Luke Kennard and you want to maybe trade for you know, an Eric Gordon or a P.J. Tucker in Houston, you're probably going to have to let go of Al Horford, although do a lot of teams want Al Horford because the way he's playing? I'm not sure, but that's the direction I think the 76ers really got to look at because this team right now isn't playing to where they thought they were going to be at the beginning of the season. And Alton Brand brought in some guys that you thought would really help this squad, bringing in the Al Horford and the Richardson. And Richardson's been pretty good. But it's going to be very interesting to see what he does at the trade deadline. I'm excited to see what he does, to be honest with you. Yeah, they have to do something. Well, as it stands, barring a big hot streak or a major collapse, the 76ers will be the fifth or sixth seed in the Eastern Conference and playing, likely, either Boston or Miami, maybe Toronto if they drop in the first round of the playoffs. And, of course, the Celtics or Heat or whomever would have home court advantage. We know how the Sixers have fared on the road this year. I think they're 9-18. and 18. Are we looking at a first-round elimination, maybe? Hey, if they play the Celtics or the Miami Heat in the first round, I wouldn't be surprised at all because the likely scenario is you're going to have to play the first two games on the road. And you mentioned their record on the road. It isn't good. They don't even have 10 wins on the road yet. That's pretty embarrassing for a team that has been dom- or was dominant last year. And when you have the star power, you've got to be better than 9-18 and 18 on the road. So if you look at it as that, and if you're down 2-0 in a series in the first round against one of those teams and you don't take care of your home court, 
and get it to 2-2, you're in some real trouble. So the Sixers got to figure it out here and try to get home court at least in the first round because if not, I can see them losing to the Miami Heat. I can see them losing to the Boston Celtics. And I can see them losing to the Toronto Raptors. So they've got to pick it up on the road in order to flip this thing around because right now it's not looking good. Let's face facts. Brett Brown is gone if that happens, or even if they go maybe to the second or third round, Brett Brown is gone because of the expectations going into the season. Is there yep. any chance that they would dismiss Brown in the next few weeks if things don't turn around? I think so. I, re- I really do. I don't know how they do it, but I think if they, this team doesn't start winning in the next few weeks, I think he might be gone. I think he really might because – Like you said, the expectations going into this season, the underperforming in the playoffs, uh, how he's gotten outcoached by Brad Stevens, and he got outcoached by Nick Nurse in those two playoff exits. Now you're sitting here with a new revamped squad, and you're underperforming once again. Now it's not in the playoffs, but it's in the regular season. How many times are we going to do this before they make a change? So I wouldn't be surprised, Chet, if they would – make a, a switch at, at the head coaching position if they don't start winning. Find this guy's podcast, The Half Court Show. Matt McClure, great talking to you again. Thanks for visiting Philly Press Box Radio. Yeah, thanks so much, Chet. Talk to you soon. Okay, Chet, great stuff from Matt and, and you both. Uh, really good. I guess the, my, one of my biggest takeaways is uh, not understanding what who this team is and what they are and, and having to go back to the trade deadline to create something to make a run to the playoffs. That, that's really disturbing with all the moves they made. Yeah, it's kind of sad what this uh, has led to and you know what we're talking about right now. Uh, I mean, at this point, the process is something of a failure because you make all the moves that you made to get to this position. You have Simmons and Embiid, theoretically two of the best players in the league. They're all-stars, and yet there's just problems, as Matt noted, with spacing on the floor. Um, the rotation is not great. Uh, you got the Ben Simmons not shooting thing. The guys off the bench are not scoring like they should. It's it's turning into something of a disaster, and something's got to change real soon. I don't know that a trade will do that, but something's got to change. Yeah, and, you know, uh, right or wrong, that always seems to turn into the coach. You know, that that's usually where it starts. You can't get rid of all the players, but you can get rid of the coach. Yeah, and I think we're going to be looking at a new coach this summer. The other thing I was thinking as I was listening to Matt is our two guests this week, Matt and Tim Kelly, you combine their ages. They're both in their <laughs> 20s. You put those two together, and you still have somebody who's, like, way younger than one of us. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what. We're old. They're by, young. Great job by both of them, though. Uh, they're, they're up on their game. and uh, Yeah. But both, both fantastic interviews, very knowledgeable young guys. And uh, Absolutely. look forward they to having them stuff. both back with us too they, they were good yeah and hopefully they'll come visit us in the retirement home <laughs> that's right <laughs> well hey Chad, as much as it pains me i have to say congratulations to you for winning the playoff pick pool uh since we both took the chiefs we already knew that you were going to win because we both had the same pick but uh oh yeah and and fred finished a real distant third yeah, well, he went back and forth with his teams in the postseason. He took the Niners to win it all. Of course, that didn't happen at the end. So, see you, Fred. Uh, but we had some fun. No money involved, but it was nice for me to join Andy Reid and being the last man standing at the end of the postseason. And, by the way, I run a cheap $5 a box Super Bowl pool at work the last 
three jobs I've had. I've been doing so for like 20 years, whatever. And I actually won $100 at the end of the first quarter Sunday night when the score was 7-3. to three. And I believe that was the very first time I ever actually won money in the pool that I run. And if you're nice, Bill, I'll buy you a beer. Well, Chet, uh, I wasn't going to say this, but I actually got in a pool, a block yeah. pool. And I won the second quarter with the score 0-0 at 10-10. to 10. Which means you they also won the third quarter? Oh, they reshuffle. Well, they, re- they reshuffle. And didn't I have 0-0 zero, zero in the third quarter? Oh, no. And it was and 20 gonna... to 10. And you probably won more than $100, didn't you? I did win quite a bit more than $100, and I will buy you a beer. That's what I was going to say. Yes, indeed. You can buy me two beers, pal. (laughs) Let's do it. Yes. Uh, It was a very very good night. And and on top of it, uh, (laughs) my wife, Mary, had the Chiefs in the family pool. So she she won that as well. So we had a pretty pretty, uh, successful Sunday, and our team won. Yeah, it was a it was a good game. The right team won. We both won a little money, and boy, did I eat a lot of food. I'm still trying to work that out. Oh, up. me too. Me too. <laughs> well, hey, Chet, let's give a shout out to the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page, so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford or have access to. All items come with certificates of authenticity. They've continued to run out great autograph memorabilia from all the Philly teams and more. There are only 21 lines available, so your chances of winning are 1 in 21. Pretty good odds. Check out their Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC118RazRoom. That's right, PPCC118RazRoom on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Hey, Chet, we have a tweak to next week's schedule, so tell us about that and who's coming to Philly Press Fox Radio. Well, we are not going to do our show on Wednesday next week. We're going to do it on Thursday, a little something different. Um, So Thursday evening, same time, though, 7 o'clock next Thursday. That will be February 13th. And I don't have a guest confirmed as yet. I'm working on two different potential guests. So hopefully I'll have something firmed up in the next day or two. And, uh, you know, I'll let you know. Uh, So Thursday next week at 7 o'clock. Give us a hint. Tell us what sport we're going to talk about. One would be another Phillies baseball-type person, and the other potential guest would be joining us to talk Sixers basketball. All right. Sounds good. Hey, before we get to the parting shot segment of our program, I didn't get to this last week, which was actually the 40th anniversary. Last week, January 29th, Bill, marked the 40-year anniversary of the launch of this classic 1980s toy. Sure, Sir Isaac Newton unraveled the mysteries of gravity, but could he have unraveled the mysteries of Rubik's Cube? Three weeks ago, Judge Smith retired to her chambers with Exhibit A, Rubik's Cube. She hasn't been seen since. Warning, once you get your hands on Rubik's Cube, you may never be able to put it down. Rubik's Cube, over three billion combinations, but just one solution from Ideal. Did you have one of those Rubik's Cubes, Bill? Yeah, I still haven't figured it out. (laughs) (laughs) I I hate those guys who could solve it in literally six or seven seconds. Now, I did solve it back in the day, but it took me probably 20 minutes. (laughs) I'm no genius. Uh, I thought you were going to say six or seven years. No, no, no. I did it like within maybe 10 to 20 minutes. It was not real quick. Okay. All right. <laughs> How about a parting shot for you? You have one tonight? Well, Bill, you won't care one iota about this, so you can just take a one-minute nap. But the All Academy right. Awards 
The Academy oh. Awards, also known as the Oscars, are this Sunday. And yes, I will watch all three plus hours of the show. I'm a movie guy. You know that. I actually saw 47 films that were released last year. Yes, 47. Now, these aren't my predictions, but my favorite movie of 2019 was Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, followed closely by the World War I drama 1917 and Joker. They were my, my favorite three. If I were giving out a Best Actor and Actress trophy, they would go to Joaquin Phoenix for the amazing job he did in Joker and Charlize Theron for her portrayal of Megyn Kelly in Bombshell, although Renee Zellweger was also fantastic as Judy Garland in Judy. And Brad Pitt should be a lock for Best Supporting Actor. He was awesome in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Another great year for movies, even though Bill doesn't really care. So now back to our regular programming. Well, and, and I do have one thing to add in to somewhat along those lines, because you didn't ask me which commercial I hated the most in the Super okay. Bowl. And that yep. idiot, John John Legend, and that bimbo wife of his, <laughs> what, what, whatever that was about, just to tell us how good they were, that he was the sexiest man in the world or some nonsense, yes. to drive off yep. in a car. What a ridiculous, yeah. but two perfect people to be in that commercial because uh, I wouldn't give them the time of day. I actually like John Legend. I'm not a big Chrissy Teigen fan. There's something about her that annoys me. So, uh, but yeah. so they were just making fun of the whole sexiest man alive thing that he was named by People Magazine. But, yeah, not one of my favorite commercials either. Uh, and, on a, and on a good note, Chet, happy 86th birthday to one of my favorites, Hammer and Hank Aaron. Yeah, yeah, one of my favorites as well. Loved watching Hammer and Hank. Two quick things, Bill. The Philadelphia Eagles, All or Nothing. It's an eight-episode series. It arrives on Amazon Prime this Friday, so I'm going to try to check that out. I have Amazon Prime. All or Nothing, Philadelphia Eagles. I'm hearing it's pretty good. Brandon Lee Gowton and a couple others have seen it already, and they said it is definitely worth, worth watching. And I don't know if this is worth watching or not, but the XFL 2020 returns this weekend. <laughs> yes. I thought I'd throw that in. And, and, and you know what, Chad? I don't have the names in front of me, but I think the Eagles have finalized that coaching staff, or they've gotten very close to it here today. Yes. No official offensive coordinator, but they did add a couple of guys. But we're out of time, so we can't discuss it. All right. We'll talk about it next week. How's that? With that, we've reached the top of the hour, so let's thank tonight's special guest, Tim Kelly, Matt McClure, our sponsors, the Irish Rover Station House. Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPCC 118, Raz Room, and Dave LaVoy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. <clears throat> for Jim Chachesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Thursday night, February 13th at 7 p.m. You can listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com, slash phillypressboxradio. Or you can find our podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, and a bunch of others. High hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay.